What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh. I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadl. Welcome to Sundays with Kate, the podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. This is your host, Mortada El Fadl. Every week, we choose a Kate Blanchett film and discuss it with a guest. And my guest this week is writer and critic Nathaniel Rogers from the Film Experience. Hello, Nathaniel. Hello, Mortada. So Nathaniel and I actually co-host the Film Experience podcast together. So this is sort of like going home to talk to him today. <laughs> A sidebar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. And the movie that we're discussing, we're going back to the 90s, 1997, and a time when nobody who loves movies knew who Kate Blanchett was. And the movie we're discussing is Paradise Road. So this is a film directed, it's an Australian film because its director is Australian, Bruce Beresford. Although its cast is international, it has Glenn Close, Jennifer Ely, Juliana Margulies, Pauline Collins, Frances McDormand, and Kate. And they play a group of women who are imprisoned in Sumatra by the Japanese during the Second World War. So the movie sort of starts with them in Singapore, and they introduce us to all these women. It's an all-star cast. So there is Glenn Close as the leader. She is the wife of a plantation owner in Singapore. Kate plays an Australian nurse. There is Juliana Margulies, who plays an American wife. She's the only American. Pauline Collins is a missionary. Jennifer Ely is sort of the romantic lead as a woman who, a British nurse in love with her husband, who is a dashing British officer. And what the movie starts in Singapore. They're all in a ball. They're dancing to Mad About the Boy. Kate is actually the first person we see. And then after that, Japanese start shelling Singapore. They All the women and children have to leave on this boat, which is also shelled and then is shipwrecked. And the women have to then go into this camp in Sumatra. And this is where the bulk of the action of the film takes place. My husband is Dennis Leighton Jones. We're all Malayan volunteers. How do you do? Susan McCarthy, Australian Army Nursing Corps. Adrian Partita, wife of tea planter. What kind of people would be in this group, dear? I'm Irish. We're neutral. I don't think we've met. The English don't invite Jewish refugees to the cricket club. So, Nathaniel, what did you think of Paradise Road? Just general impression first. Um, general impression, I thought it was mildly diverting like i watchable i would call it but there wasn't especially strong it felt like watching sort of episodes of like maybe a <laughs> mini series like it didn't seem to have much shape i would agree and it's sort of a forgotten film and i have haven't seen it until yesterday and i saw it just to record this and talk with you and I've always like, why is this film forgotten? But I think after watching it, I kind of know why it is. Because it's, 
it's fine, but it never sort of lifts off to anywhere that's profound or moving or interesting. Have you seen it before? Was this your first time? It, this was not. And if, had I seen it, it would have been my first Kate Blanchett movie, of course, because <laughs> it came. This was her first prestige film, I noticed. She yes. had made a couple, but obviously Bruce Beresford was already a very famous director who had had Best Picture nominees before. And um, so obviously this was like one of those movies, you know. World War II drama, but yeah, just sort of shapeless. Like, you know, one of the things I first noticed about it is like the just random dialogue where they would be like, well, we've been here for three months. And I'm like, you have? <laughs> like, <laughs> it just was sort of, sort of just like episodic and without a lot of shape because like nothing happens to them because, I mean, that's the wrong thing to say, but they're prisoners of war. So like their lives are very shapeless. They just do well work all day and then wonder about the war since they aren't experiencing any of it yeah i mean the time i am i'm glad you brought the time because like this movie takes place i think over three years and it's never clear how much time has passed they yeah. have to actually have a character say oh it's been three months or it's been three years or it's now we are <laughs> in 1945 or whatever which is a little bit clunky and not that great <laughs> yeah just about the only way you know that is that like uh, certain characters you know die throughout the movie but even that is like very sort of spaced out and it doesn't directly usually directly follow like an action that takes place mm -hmm. and one of the things that i also noticed like you know we mentioned like who it's a who's who of actresses right so there's kate who at the time was a phenom in australian theater and this was maybe her second film and then there's Glenn Close, a bona fide star, Frances McDormand. This was actually the movie released a month after she won her Oscar for Fargo. Mm -hmm. There's Pauline Collins, who was famous at the time for Shirley Valentine, Oscar nomination. Jennifer Ely, I guess, is the other ingenue with Kate, young, promising actress at the time. And then there's Juliana Margulies, who was very famous in the U.S. for a few years when this movie was made and released for being in the number one show, ER. So it's kind of a star, a mix mm -hmm. of stars and upcoming actresses. But like the shorthand of the characters, they're not given anything to do. It's just like, oh, Glenn Close is the leader and she's a plantation, the wife of a plantation owner. And Pauline Collins is a missionary and she is tired sometimes. <laughs> I love that description <laughs> of a character. You have to hand it to Pauline Collins, though, given that that's the description she does pretty well in this movie. Yeah, she does. She's great. But, like, the character, she's not given anything in the screenplay, except that she writes music. And then we have a couple of villains. These are the lesser-known actresses that we, whose names are not famous, but there is... One woman who sort of implied like she's the spy who gets her cigarettes from the Japanese by giving them information about the other inmates. And there is um, the older British woman who's a little bit racist, as usual in these movies. And so but they're all have a shorthand and that's it. It's as if it's like one of those things. Let's just describe this character. And then. You get nothing beyond that. Kate actually is one, I thought. She plays this Australian nurse, And it's one of the more developed characters because she has a little bit of an arc. So her character's name is Susan McCarthy. She's Australian. She's a nurse. She does talk about how she grew up in a sheep station back home in Australia. And that's where she is going to go back to help her dad with the sheep station. 
But then she meets the the German doctor who is a Jewish refugee played by Frances McDormand in a strange German accent. And Kate and Frances sort of form this relationship of mentor and mentee because Frances plays a doctor, Kate plays a nurse, and she's like, you know, you can be a doctor. No, I want to go back to work with my dad. And so throughout the movie, she sort of, her arc is that she gets a backbone and maybe she will be a doctor or she will just forge her own way instead of doing what her father is telling her based on this mentor relationship with the Frances McDormand character. It's also Kate herself. I do think that she's actually very good in this movie um, because you can feel like a whole character, even though she, like everyone else, just gets a sketch to play. But you can feel sort of her naivete in the beginning, how how like she defines herself in this very simplistic way, like this country girl and who's a nurse. And, and then you can feel her sort of developing as a person. So it's like actually, given the script, it's quite a performance, I think. Yeah, even though it's a small part. And so, like, I was watching her and, you know, I love her so much. And it was so nice to see, like, her baby face and her old teeth. And (laughs) (laughs) it's like she's so young in this movie. Yeah, definitely, for sure. I Um, was just like, oh, it's baby Kate. I hadn't seen that face since, like, talented Mr. Ripley. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And this is even before that. And one thing we failed to mention so far, because the movie itself fails to mention it, is that this movie is not just about women being in a Japanese internment camp. It's about them coming up together and making a, a choir. Even though they, they don't have instruments, it's a voice choir. So Pauline Collins plays the woman who writes music, and Glenn Close is the leader who... Maybe in another life, if she wasn't the wife of a plantation owner, might have been a conductor. So more than 40 minutes into the movie, no music is mentioned. And then suddenly Glenn Close stands up, looks around, and she's like, we should have a voice choir. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, she does get the idea from uh, Pauline Collins humming, humming with her. Yes. But I refuse to believe that was the point of the movie because it took so long to show up. That I was actually a little surprised during the credits, you know, like many a war movie, the credits have the after credits tell you something about what happened Mm -hmm. after the events or just comment on the events that you've just seen. And so they mentioned that this choir performed this many times and like the music survived the war and and all that. And I was like, oh, it was supposed to be about that. (laughs) It was so it was like a subplot. So I was surprised that the end was like mentioning the music again because it really did feel like a subplot. But it is about that. I think this is why it's based on a couple of books of memoirs from the women who were in this a Japanese internment cat in Sumatra and who did form this voice choir. So I guess that's why they made the movie. But yeah, it, it's such a, such a B plot. It's not the main thing. Yeah, so they could have to... they could have introduced it earlier for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because we spend a lot of time at the beginning of introducing all these characters and then sort of getting into because there is basically the English speaking group which is the main characters in the movie. So they are Australian, British, um, one American is Juliana Margulies, and then there are the Dutch women who are sort of the secondary characters. And there is a little bit of friction and conflict between the two camps and they're making fun of each other. And it's like, and I was also like, is this a comedy? Because there were... (laughs) 
the tone in those scenes is kind of a little off. It was a little bit humorous. There's even a dick joke. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> the, the tone is very strange in the movie. And also, like, because if you load up, I never like those things that are about, like, class divides or race divides or or um, border, you know, country nationality divides because they always load up the stars in one group. Mm-hmm. And so then it's always, like, it's imbalanced. So, like, and even that is, like, sort of an implicit taking sides. Like, these poor Dutch women that the, they're making fun of, I'm like, the, none of them are famous. So it's, like... <laughs> It's just horrible. Like, why are they being so mean to these Dutch women, you know? And none of them actually get even the shorthand that all the English-speaking women get. Only one of them gets a little bit in a subplot with Jennifer Ely in that Jennifer Ely is teaching her English. And that's the only one of the Dutch women who even has any screen time than just appearing to make jokes in the background. (laughs) Yeah, there's not there's not even like the film has this like one of the characters says this really rude thing about like they we've been here this long, you know, one of the many one of the times they bring up how long they've been at the camp. And I was like, Oh, you've been there a year, okay. And how have they learned no English words yet? And I'm the film did did not present that. There was nothing in the point of view of the film to suggest that, well, maybe you should have learned some Dutch if you're imprisoned with these women. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking. But it's very much always on the side of, like, the English ladies. It is, for for sure. And there is only one non-white character. There is only one Asian woman with speaking lines. There are a couple of other Asian women who are in the choir, but they're in the background. You never actually see them or hear them speak, except in group shots where they sing. But there is one non-white character. And as usual, like, it's the cliche of, like, in a horror movie, who dies first? It's the non-white character. And of course, she's the one who dies first. And also, that is such a whiplashing tone because she delivers the dick joke. And then in the next scene, she is tortured and murdered <laughs> in front of everybody. And this is supposed to be like the big emotional scene where all these women are watching her being burned alive and sort of realizing maybe that this is serious. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I have no comment on that other than I love that her her hor- horrific death was sort of used as a character development for the racist old la- white lady. Yes, who so, then became non-racist because she realized that woman died because she was trying to help her. Yes, she died because she went to get her medicine from the other side of the camp. Uh, yeah, <sighs> it's it's one of those. It's like a mid nineties <laughs> movies that way. <laughs> talked about Kate and you said that you really liked her performance and I really think she I don't know because the movie is sort of like humdrum so I don't know if I would have noticed her if I am not watching this movie just for her but one group did notice her and the only sort of award this movie won was the Chicago Film Critics gave Kate most promising newcomer so they saw the potential well good on them some (laughs) foresight there yeah would you, if you have seen this movie in 1997, would Kate have been the one to jump at you and be like, oh, this is going to be somebody we're going to watch for years? No, I think it would have been Jennifer Ely, actually. Yes, I agree. Um, because, 
I was having that feel at like when Kate's introduced first and I think Jennifer Ely's second. Yes. And when I saw Kate, my immediate reaction was like, oh, it's baby Kate. And then when I saw Jennifer Ely, I had this reaction and I remembered how I felt the first time I, the first couple times I had seen a Jennifer Ely in a movie and I was very excited and like there was something about her and it's interesting because both of their careers were starting right around then. Mm -hmm. I think they had both made one movie before this. She's the one that I would have picked out as like future star. And I was actually really surprised over the next few years that her star did not like she had a couple of lead lead roles and she got them right around the same time Kate started getting lead roles and it just didn't Mm -hmm. really happen. But I love her. I thought she was like very magnetic. And she does in this movie sort of get the ingenue part, right? She's the one who's the romantic lead. She's in love with the handsome officer. She's pining Mm -hmm. for her husband. She gets to be compassionate with her Dutch friend as she teaches her English. So she gets the sort of role that usually makes a star. While Mm -hmm. Kate, while she, she has her own story of like getting a backbone and being stronger and she gets a big torture scene. She's the only white woman who's tortured. Um, Mm -hmm. which I was like, I can't with this movie. I can't believe they're torturing Kate Blanchett. I can't watch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they actually did torture Glenn Close, too. Yes, they did. Oh, yeah, Glenn Close does get beaten (laughs) up. That's true, yeah. So the two biggest biggest stars today are the ones who are tortured. But yeah, Jennifer Ely is sort of like the romantic part, the one that sort of people look at her and be like, oh, I want to see her in a grand love story. next and she did get pride and prejudice but that was the highlight of her career and she never sort of got i agree with you she was the one i would have chosen too if i've seen this at its time Mm -hmm. yeah and so reading reviews for research for this movie was very funny because the critics really came for francis mcdormand which i don't know (laughs) when i went and looked back at the timeline this movie Uh was released less than a month after she won the Oscar. And I don't know, is it like people saw it at that time? Like maybe critics saw it the night of the Oscars or the day after the Oscars. And everybody was just coming for Frances McDormand because she does have a thick German accent and she's the only woman who is doing like a big accent. You know, Kate is just having an Australian accent. Glenn is doing a British accent. So critics, the knives were out, Nathaniel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean... And most people actually within this movie are playing their own nationality. Wendy Hughes is also in this. She's she's one of the awful Australian and she's a great Australian actress. And like, so most people, and Kate of course playing Australian and Juliana is the the American. They point that out several times. Yeah. Um, So they, she's the only one that's really other than Glenn Close. Who's really like playing not where she's from. Mm -hmm. And the accent is a little dodgy. Like, it comes and goes, not comes and goes, but it comes and goes in its strength. Let's just yeah. say that. And also, like, her character is also not that great. Like, I don't know why Frances McDormand took this role. She is second build after Glenn Close, probably because mm-hmm. of the Oscar or because of her status at the time. Mm-hmm. But also, it's one of the, like, most of these characters are not that developed, but hers is the least developed one. Like, I don't even know what her arc is, except in relation to Kate Blanchett, who even has a smaller part than her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not that great of a part, but maybe... But it is very much a Frances McDormand part. She's worldly and wise. No nonsense. Jaded, you know. Yeah, it is. 
what did you think of Glenn Close? I thought, you know, Glenn Close has the star part, but I didn't really... And she does get, you know, beaten up once and she's the leader of this voice choir. But I don't think she registered. Did she register for you? I would say yes. I have recently had sort of a Glenn Close moment where, you know, I was never the hugest Glenn Close fan. Like, I think that's a misinterpretation from people reading the film experience. I always liked her, but I was never one of these people who were like, oh, you know... She didn't get the career she deserved. I was never one of those people. And I do think sometimes that she's bad. Like, she's one of these actors that's very uneven for me, but I liked her in it. It did feel like a star part. It made me think of that time period in her career. And I was like, oh, yeah, she her career was sort of in the wilderness right around then. It was like when things were dying out for her mm. in the movies. Um, and it felt like a really, like, warm, sort of like a warm star part. And she's not playing a psycho, which she has played a lot. So she is the yeah. actual do-gooder in this, yeah, <laughs> in this movie. And I like that she underplays it. So I think for in that way, it, it registered for me. Like she has a scene with the Japanese officer who her most her caused her torture scene, and it's like she really underplays that scene, which I loved. He takes her in the woods, and you think he's going to kill her, but instead he like sings a song to her because of the the music. I really loved her reaction. It was very sort of small and understated you know what and now that you you've said that i do remember that scene and she's very poignant in it and maybe my reaction to her when i said not registering is to your point she was underplaying and she's not doing the usual glenn close right, performance yeah. and maybe that's why i was expecting that and i didn't see that and maybe that was why i said she she didn't register that much would you say that pauline collins you gave her a little bit of praise earlier did you would you say that's your favorite of the women performances maybe actually because she doesn't really have a part at all but she's just so charming i just really liked her in it i would say probably jennifer ely will be my favorite um of these although you know i could just say kate because she's always my favorite <laughs> <laughs> i did think with jennifer ely like there there's a moment late in the movie where she gets like her tragedy arc where she sees her husband that she's madly in love with and he's not dead but um she sees him and he's very bloody and she has this moment where she realizes she's never gonna see him again mm -hmm. and she was playing that scene so well but then the music went <laughs> like swelled to be this big romantic tragedy and i was like oh orchestra calm down like she's doing it she's doing it for the movie yeah that's a good part. One of my favorite scenes in this movie, just because of how gorgeous it looks, is a scene very early on after the shipwreck where Glenn Close, Kate, and Jennifer Ely find themselves together swimming away from the ship and to the island. And mm -hmm. it's at night with the moon and they have, they, they start their rapport, they start talking to each other and trying to find what they're doing and where they came from. And it's, it's a short scene, but it is... I was like, oh, I like this movie. And this was early on, and that was a really beautiful scene. What are some of your favorite scenes in the film? Because I reacted so well to Pauline Collins, I really liked her all her moments with Glenn Close, because I felt like the movie's heart was sort of in, this, in these more understated things, but then it got caught up in being you know, sort of a war movie, which is, mm -hmm. I think, why it's so shapeless, because it doesn't really quite know where its strengths are. So I, I liked those scenes a lot. Yeah, but I mean, it doesn't, it's not a scene movie, right? It's yeah. just sort of, it's just sort of there the whole time. The it doesn't pop. <laughs> yes, right. right. Yeah. 
when I, I knew you were going to ask this question, I was just like, what scenes? Like, cause I <laughs> even trying to think of Kate scenes that I liked. And even though I really liked her in it, I did like her scene with, with Frances McDormand when, um, Frances McDormand's telling her, no, you could be a doctor, you know, you don't have to be a farmer type of thing. Yeah. And I, again, uh, the understated word's going to come up, but I did like that I felt Kate really underplayed that because you you can feel her character arc is coming into her strength, but she really does not overdo it. Yeah. Like, it's a very subtle character arc, and you can feel her gaining... And and even the way that strength comes up is in a little petulant way. It comes up mm-hmm. in more in scenes where she's sort of where she's letting herself hate the Japanese, you know? Yeah. So like her her reaction, like my my favorite shot of her face, I think, in the movie is when they've done the most horrible thing they do in the movie with that torture execution. And you just, the, the disdain on her face just reads so well in that scene. So she gets to play defiant in that scene. So she gets to play a few things, like to yeah. your point, the subtle strengths, but then in the scene after the torture, the defiance. My favorite shot of her is one is later in the movie well, her character is not part of the choir at the beginning. She refuses and she's like, I don't like your music when Glenn Close approaches her. But later on, after they lose some members, she joins the choir and there is a scene after her torture where they're making where they're doing the big song in front of all the camp, including the Japanese. And she gets a close up as one tear rolls down her face and that was the moment. I was like, oh, wow, nice close-up, Bruce Beresford. <laughs> you are listening to Sundays with Kate, the podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Don't miss the three-part miniseries about her Oscar-winning performance in Blue Jasmine. Three episodes, three guests, three perspectives. In part one, we discuss Kate Blanchett as the real auteur of Blue Jasmine, and the many ways her performance makes her the author of the film. In part two, we talk about the similarities to Tennessee Williams, a streetcar named Desire, the character of Blanche Dubois, clearly the blueprint for Jasmine, the many actresses who played Blanche or were inspired by her, from the women in Pedro Almodovar's movies to Jenna Rollins in Woman Under the Influence to most recently, Carrie Mulligan in Wildlife. And in the third and final part, we discuss Jasmine and her sisters, Annie Hall, Helen St. Clair in Bullets Over Broadway, Maria Elena in Vicky Cristina Barcelona, and Cecilia in The Purple Rose of Cairo, among others. All these episodes are now available wherever you listen to podcasts or at sundayswithkate.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review. Now back to Sundays with Kate. Oh, I did remember a scene I liked, but I liked it. But also it's one of the reasons why the movie's bad. <laughs> There's a scene where all of the, well, not all of the ladies, but all the ones we're talking about, like Glenn and um, Jennifer and Kate, they all are chosen as like the beautiful girls. Mm. So like they all get shipped off to this place where they're sort of being offered to be like prostitutes essentially for the Japanese, the high ranking Japanese officers. But the trade off is of course they get to live in this very nice place instead of a prisoner of war camp and they would be treated more luxuriously, but then they're also basically becoming prostitutes. And I thought that scene was really good and sort of the push and pull of, you know, cause they talk a lot in the movie about survival instinct 
and what people will do to survive. And I thought that scene was really interesting, except for the fact that when it got super interesting, when Juliana Margulies, who we know is married in the movie, um, when she makes this very pragmatic decision to become one of the prostitutes, and then Glenn sort of talks her out of it, but then the scene ends without... And then we don't see... This is another thing about the movie being shapeless. We don't see Juliana Margulies for, like, four scenes after that. So, like... You don't really know if she chose to become a prostitute or not. And then all of a sudden she's in one of the group scenes again. And I was just like, but that was so like interesting. And then they just drop it in the middle and then the scene ends. Yeah, I totally thought that she did go. And that's why we didn't see her for the next 15, 20 minutes. I was like, oh, Juliana went to the officer's quarters. And maybe we'll go back and go back to her and see what happened to her there. But no, to your point, she just appears back with the women. Yeah, no, that's what I'm talking about with the shapelessness. Like, it's like what the movie doesn't even seem to realize when it's interesting. It just sort of doesn't follow through, Yeah, you know? When I was reading Roger Ebert's review, he said that he wanted the movie then to follow whoever went to become a prostitute. And maybe that would made the movie more interesting dramatically if there was a contrast between these women in the choir and these women who went, who went and became prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Which, to your point, yeah, it would have been interesting. Especially you had Juliana. You could just follow Juliana. You don't need to, like, follow all of the other ones. Because they were yeah. mostly from the Dutch group, as usual. <laughs> <laughs> right. And there is a scene later on that's, like, a brief uh, follow-up to that scene where they're driving past and they notice the women again. And Juliana gets a little remark about, I should have joined them. And but that would have been more interesting if you had, if you had even realized that she didn't join them for so long <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. So any anyway, yeah, it's kind of a mess of a movie. It is very messy there, which brings us to Bruce Beresford, who is the director, and I didn't know this about him, but he is kind of a woman's director because he did this movie, he did driving miss daisy double jeopardy crimes of the heart these are all movies in the 80s and 90s that are about women and about women experiences different eras yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and then of course his big one that he got really famous for in america was tender mercies yes which... which is what got him his oscar nominations and such and robert duval won the oscars best actor there yeah um, so yeah, he was a prestige director, but he was he was one of those famous examples of somebody who, when his movie won Best Picture, he wasn't even nominated. Driving Miss Daisy was one of those. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> they dodged a bullet there because that should not have been nominated for director. Um, but it's just so funny that that was like, yeah, I'm I'm just not sure. I have not seen his big Australian breakout movie, Breaker Morant, but so I don't really know what to make of him there. But I've never found his directing all that interesting. Yeah. And here, I just don't think he has a really strong grasp on story, which is strange because I think he's a writer director too, isn't he? Yeah, he did write the screenplay for Paradise Road. Yeah. I, probably my favorite of his movies is Tender Mercies from the one I've seen. I also haven't seen Breaker Morant. But just looking at the movies he made, like the actresses he has worked with from mm-hmm. all yeah, the great. women in this movie to Diane Keaton, to CeCe Spacek, to Sharon Stone. He did her movie Last Dance. Like he really, you know, Double Jeopardy with Ashley Judd. He really 
went to all those famous women of the 90s and 80s and they were all in his movies. And I don't know, mm -hmm. is it him choosing them or they choosing him to direct the movies? Who knows, right? But in other words, he was definitely no known as that type of director. Yeah. But this is probably his last big movie. Since then, he his sort of career petered off. He still works here and there, but not in anything that people talk about or watch or see. And this, I think, was like a few years after he won Best Film with Driving Miss Daisy. One other thing I wanted to, to bring up before we close uh, the conversation about this movie is a lot of the reviews I read said that this movie is redundant because it came a few years after Schindler's List, <laughs> which is funny because people still make World War II movies all the time. <laughs> but I know like Schindler's List is a huge movie. It's a, it's a movie that sort of defines the movies about World War II. Do you think that's why this movie was not so well received? Or is it just because, you know, we already talked that it's not that good? <laughs> yeah, I think it's just because it's not that good. I mean, I think that's a really a horrible, unfair review point to compare it to Schindler's <laughs> List. It's not trying to do the same things. It's not about the same things. Um, and there are definitely, I mean, there's a reason they make so many movies about the world wars. It's because the entire world was involved, you know? Yeah. Um, that's why so many different countries make movies about World War II, because they were all, they all had stories from it. So there are a myriad of stories to tell. So that she, it just seems a little like misogynistic to be like, oh, it's not as good as this male war movie i don't know it just seems a very strange thing to say about this movie because i couldn't i couldn't even think of a different movie like a less a less similar movie to compare it to but yeah. i guess it's the timing yeah a few it's just, years after that mm -hmm. and because it's world war ii which is like so many movies are about that but before we move on to talking a little bit about kate is there anything about paradise road that you wanted to say that we didn't touch on just that I wish it had been better. Again, I did. I didn't dislike it. I thought it was quite watchable. It just, like you said, it doesn't pop. Yeah. And it had so many elements that that you thought that they. I don't know if you felt this way, but like that, I thought, oh, here's where it's really going to click in. Because there are so many appealing actors, and like some of the mm -hmm. some of the character arcs are good, but it's just like it just doesn't go there ever. It's very tentative. Yeah, and one thing that I also noticed is that it put all the characters in silos, like uh, they paired them together. Francis and Kate, Glenn Close mm -hmm. and Pauline Collins, Jennifer Ely and the Dutch woman who wants to learn English. And even though the, the movie is supposedly about a group of women who come together to do something, the dynamic is never a group dynamic. It's always in these silos, which I think also undercut a lot of the dramatic tension because... These women don't seem to know each other or like each other. So when they're all devastated when the one Asian woman is is killed or devastated for Kate when she's being tortured, you're just like, but I've never even seen you give her one look before the scene or talk to her or be in you know, yeah. with her. Yeah, I mean, not all directors can be Robert Altman, but <laughs> but you would you do wish. I often find myself, I'm glad you brought this up. I often find myself wishing this in ensemble movies which this is that directors really need to do things more than two shots like mm -hmm. if you're making a movie that's about groups of people you need to find ways visually and emotionally and to include lots of people in shots and to to make sure we understand the interpersonal dynamics i just feel like there are not very many directors who are very good at that 
And there are directors in the past who have been good at this, and people should be looking at them. William Wyler was great at that. Robert Altman was great at it. Paul Thomas Anderson was great at it. There are directors to look at and be like, this is how you shoot a group scene. And you notice so many things going on with the group. And that's this movie could have been so much better. Yep. Well, Bruce Beresford isn't one. <laughs> no. <laughs> but we do no, thank... because all the scenes that pop were the ones that between two people. Yeah, exactly. But we do thank Bruce Beresford for giving Kate one of her early movies. I am sure some people watched this movie and saw her and cast her. In 1997, this was the first time she made movies. She made in Australia, thank God he made Lizzie and Paradise Road. And then she got to do Oscar and Lucinda, which came also the same year, a bit later. And Oscar and Lucinda was what led to Elizabeth a year and a half after this was released. And as they say, the rest is history. But Nathaniel, when was the first time you saw Kate? The first time ever? Yes. What's the um, first movie? I, it might have been Elizabeth. I think it was actually. Because Elizabeth was before um, Talented Mr. Ripley. Yes. Talented Mr. Ripley was when I... Because uh, a shameful confession, since this is a Kate Blanchett podcast, I was not crazy about Elizabeth. <laughs> it's fine. And, and that's where everybody fell in love with her. But I was really like a holdout for a long time with her. So you held out for a year until Ripley? No, that's no. Not a long time. Ripley is, no, Ripley was when I, when, the, when I first really liked her and something. But it took me a long time. And it wasn't really until Blue Jasmine where I was just like... I know I like she's been good in a lot of things in between but my early reactions to her were very Elizabeth based and they were very much like Pauline Kale with Meryl Streep like I just saw so much technique and I'm like it's just not doing it for me emotionally Mm. and the first time I really loved her in something was the aviator but even that I, I didn't want her to win you know like I thought it was impressive but I was thinking it was impressive from a technique standpoint you know Mm. I mean, that is a performance that's very technical because there is no way you play Catherine Hepburn without doing Catherine Hepburn. Yes, You'll yes. just be, she's be like, she can't do like subtle Catherine Hepburn. She yes. has to do Catherine Hepburn. Yes. But yeah, I was a very late bloomer with Kate. I was, I, I was impressed, but not in love. Let's just say that. I fell in love immediately with Elizabeth. What is your favorite performance of hers? Uh, Blue Jasmine. And why do you, why do you love that one? Which, which would lead me to, your, to my next question, because I think it's always either for me, it's one day I wake up, it's Blue Jasmine, the other day I wake up, it's Carol, and it's whatever I saw last of those two, <laughs> but you are definitely Blue Jasmine. Yes, but Carol is my favorite of her movies. Yes. So I totally get that those are the two, <laughs> you know. Um, Carol is the best movie she ever made. But yeah, Blue Jasmine, just because it's the full range. It's like everything you could possibly want in a movie star performance. It's all in one movie. The whole thing's about her. and She's incredible in every scene. Yeah, it is an amazing performance. And we just did, because it's such an amazing performance, I did three episodes on it. So if you haven't listened, please listen to those. They're available everywhere. And who do you think is your favorite Kate scene partner? Which actor do you just love to see them together? Oh, in her whole career? Yes. Well, obviously, like, Rooney Mara is way up there. And I was thinking, because of Ocean's 8, actually, even though I don't love the movie, Ocean's 8 reminded me that I really dig her when she's with other actresses. Mm -hmm. Like, there are some actresses who I always 
like who are really fascinating to me with men um like michelle pfeiffer for example like i love her scenes with men like but with kate something about it's like and that i think i I really like her in oceans eight because there's this weird like sapphic energy with her and sandra bullock and that made me really want to see her with so many, see her paired with so many different actresses. I like her with women too, with Sandra and Rita, your point, but also with Judy Dench in Notes on a Scandal. Mm-hmm. Um, even in Where Did You Go, Bernadette, with Kristen Wiig, they sort of like are at opposing sides. That movie is not great, but their scenes together are great. So she does, mm-hmm. to your point, pop when she's with other women in movies. Which brings me to my next question is, who would you like to see her work with? It could be another actress or it could be somebody she's already worked with or a director or whoever. I would like to see her work with, this is going to be so not like me, this answer. Because um, I'm always like, take a break, Meryl. But I would like to see her with Meryl because I would like to see the sort of like explosion of critics just trying to decide who they were more excited about. Because, you know, like the default when Meryl is in something is like we must heap praise on Meryl. But mm-hmm. Kate is also one of those actors where people get very effusive. So like if you put them together, we're going to win. Be, yeah, like it would be like a death match. Like what would critics actually how would they how could they possibly praise both of them enough for, for what they normally would do? I mean, I think that was the year of Blue Jasmine, so it probably couldn't have happened. But imagine if they did August Osage County or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Where they are, like, coming at each other the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I, I do like her her sort of, like, animosity pairings, too. Like, she's so good with Judy Dunch and Notes on a Scandal. So, yeah, like a knockdown drag out with Meryl Streep. Why not? Yeah. I do agree with you that critics are very effusive about Kate. So she's somebody that I think is rightly rated because they should be effusive. <laughs> but so it's she's somebody you can't say is underrated, really, because no. she is. But is there a movie or a performance of hers that you like that you don't see other people appreciate as much? Well, actually, a little secret in behind the scenes of Sundays with Kate. I actually asked Murtada if I could be a guest on The Man Who Cried. Um, but the movie is, like, proving very difficult to find. Yeah. Because I love her in that movie, and, like, nobody has seen it. But that's the movie where um, it was right after The Talented Mr. Ripley. So I was, like, and people were already obsessed with her, and I, I wasn't. But I liked her in Talented Mr. Ripley a lot. And then when I saw her in The Man Who Cried, it's such a weird, weird movie, and she's not the star or anything, but she's so, like, her face is so magnetic in it, and she gets lots of, like, great close-ups and things. And I that was when I realized that, oh, yeah, movie star potential. But I did I wasn't quite there yet, but I think it's a really interesting... I do think it's a really good performance, though, of this very enigmatic character. Mm. Um, and the other one I think that people don't talk about that I think she's really good in is Heaven. Oh, yeah, yeah. So those are two that I would I would uh, say right away are things that just... And it's not that she's underrated, it's just that people haven't seen them, I think. Yeah. I mean, I would have loved to talk to you about The Man Who Cried because I've never seen it. And she uh-huh. does, in pictures, look amazing in it with the blonde hair and the very red lips. But mm-hmm. I looked everywhere. It's not available. So whoever owns The Man Who Cried, and if you're listening to this podcast, put it somewhere so we can see it. <laughs> and then Nathaniel and I can come back and talk about it. Yeah, I think it's maybe it's one of those Miramax movies that got all the rights disputes. Who knows? 
It's a very strange movie, though. I think Christina Ritchie and Johnny Depp are the stars. I barely remember it, but I just remember Kate so well. Yeah, they're the stars, and I think she's in it, and also John Turturro. And it's another yeah. World War II movie. It's in Paris during the occupation. I just like read the the IMDb blurb. So Kate next is going to be on TV. She's doing the first major TV part of hers in um, the miniseries Mrs. America, which will be on our TVs. Here at Sundays with Kate, we plan to recap it weekly. What are your feelings about her moving to TV and about that particular miniseries playing Phyllis Schlafly? I mean, I think she wants an Emmy, obviously. <laughs> Because that's why people do those miniseries. I'm a little worried about it, not because I don't think she'll be good, but because um, I grew up in a very, very extreme, let's say extremely conservative home. And so like anything like set in the 70s that it's about the sort of like conservative stars, like hits a little too close to home for me because like I remember that I don't remember the 70s really well, even though I was alive, but I, I, my memories are mostly start in the 80s. But I grew up in that sort of like in households that would have been praising her, you know, Phyllis Shafley. And mm. so I heard names like that as a child and they were always said in like praising ways. So it's like, you know, since I grew up in this horrible sort of right wing conservative mentality. And so I'm a little nervous about Whenever there's movies about people like that, like The Iron Lady, for example, I think it runs the risk of glamorizing them. And so I'm a little nervous about how it's going to play out. Yeah, and I mean, we just got Dick Cheney a couple of years ago, and then The Fox Women with Megyn Kelly. So yeah. these roles are like catnip for stars and awards. And But yeah. yeah, they always have to, as actors, they have to sympathize with the character. So yeah, I'm afraid too. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't really want her to be too great at convincing people that equal rights for women is bad, you know, <laughs> since she's playing this conservative icon who thought that, you know, so yeah. it'll be fun. interesting. It will be interesting also because when you look at the women they cast, it's like an all-star cast of character actors, but yeah. all of them are on the other side. So it's like... There's Kate and Sarah Paulson and Melanie Linsky as the three conservative women, I think. And then all the other cast are playing the people opposed to Phyllis. So I'm like, is this like, do they think Kate is so formidable that they have to stack the deck on the other <laughs> side? I mean, I think the answer would be yes. I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah, totally. Nathaniel, it has been so much fun to talk to you about Paradise Road. So thank you so much for coming on Sundays with Kate. And before we go, let our listeners know where they can find you and your work. Um, I am at Nathaniel R. on Twitter, and you can find me daily at thefilmexperience.net, where Murtada also writes yes. frequently. And if you love actresses, you are listening to this podcast, The Film Experience. If you don't know it, you should go there. We talk about actresses all the time, not just Kate, but a lot of Kate too. And you can find me on Twitter at me underscore says and follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Sundays with Kate. And until next time, thank you for listening.